Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. From undocumented men named Angel to angels falling from the sky, Natalie Center's Apico's gripping debut collection, The Virging Cities, is filled with explorations of immigration and marriage, narco-violence and femicide, and angels in the domestic sphere. Rooted along the U.S.-Mexico border, the sister cities of El Paso, Texas, and Ciudad Juarez, Chihuahua, these poems give a new voice to the ways in which international politics affect the individual. Natalie Center Zapico, Zapico rather, is from the sister cities of El Paso and Ciudad Juarez. In the Virgin Cities, uh, her debut poetry collection, uh, she talks about immigration and other issues, as you heard. It's available through the Center for Literary Publishing as part of their Mountain West Poetry Series. Her poems have appeared in The Believer, Prairie Schooner, West Branch, Palabra, and more. And uh, she's a 2015 um, Contamundo Fellow. Uh, she was included by Sherman Alexie as uh, her poem in the Best American Poetry of 2015. She's taught literature and creative writing in English and Spanish at the University of Texas, El Paso, University of New Mexico, and Juan Diego Catholic High School. She currently lives with her husband, Jose Angel Maldonado, in Salt Lake City. And she joins us for the program. Welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. So these are this is, this is gripping... Uh, poetry and and centered in uh, in these uh, sister cities uh, on the border, divided by the border. Um, So uh, you, uh, did you grow up there, these two cities? I did, yeah. Um, And it's it's definitely an interesting place to to grow up and and heavily influenced the the collection. Mm -hmm. Um, I wonder if I could have you read something. Do you have your website up in front of you? I don't know if you... You have that. If you don't, I can just reference this. This is a very interesting uh, collection. I'm, I'm sorry, David, uh, Your website? Do you have uh, internet yeah. access in front of you there? No, I don't. Okay. Sorry. All right, I'll just make reference to this. Um, you include a portion of an interview here, which uh, the magazine put out on Tumblr, so it's uh, each of these is included with an image. This one's called Abre los Ojos. And uh, so you, you say, Angel once woke me up in the middle of the night and whispered, Abre los ojos. Open your eyes. You, I guess you had mm-hmm. just seen the film. Yes. And it really struck you. Uh, so I, I, I have not seen the film. What, what's it about? Um, Abre los ojos is a really interesting film. It's the film that inspired Vanilla Sky with Tom Cruise and Penelope Cruz. I don't know if you remember that movie um, with the famous scene where they like shut down Times Square. Um, but the Abre los ojos. Um, it takes place in Spain, um, and it's a lot about kind of um, what we, the way that we judge people by their physical looks. Um, also, the way in which your life can seriously and drastically change by your physical appearance. So, in the film, um, the main character he's very handsome and very successful, and um, you know, after getting into a horrible accident, his face is severely deformed. And because of that, his whole life sort of changes. And he starts becoming obsessed that there's sort of someone else out there that, um, you know, has taken his life, his his former better life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's sort of an interesting um, film in that way, because it's sort of always questioning the way that we view reality. Um, a lot of it is just based on the experiences that we have. And then you go on to say in this, you, you're, I think you're talking about Ankel, who's now your husband, right? Um, mm-hmm. That you got into a huge fight with him because you said that you were half American, half Spanish. Uh, I wonder if you talk, yeah. talk about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, my identity is sort of an interesting thing because on the one hand, um, you know, it's, it's always been sort of a complicated thing. I come from a really, a place of hybridity. Um, so that's always been sort of a, a painful thing for me for, and it has been for a long time. Um, I think now that I'm, as I'm getting older, um, it's becoming less and less so. But but definitely, I mean, it's still there. Um, you know, my mother's from northern Spain. She came to the States uh, in her 20s without really speaking very much English. My father's from Wisconsin. Um, and, and then I grew up um, in this really, you know, border hybrid 
space of El Paso Juarez, which is a very bilingual city. Um, and so because of that, I have a lot of different experiences that sort of shape who I am in really deep ways. Um, and so because of that, I've, I've also kind of always had a little bit of, um, you know, had to deal with those identity kind of issues that have always been kind of difficult for me. I think as I get older, though, it's it's causing less and less kind of strain on me because I think I, I, I'm more aware of who I am and I'm not, I don't care as much, right, whether everybody totally under, understands it or not, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you, this is very interesting to me because Angel said he, he, he just couldn't understand, apparently, that that you had this split, and and you, I guess, you were comfortable with this split. You, you're, and you even kind of quantify it. I'm a little more Spanish than I am American, but there's this split, and 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 he's saying it's not so easy. Well, I don't think it's that he doesn't understand. I think he understands. I think it's um, more that that he doesn't he doesn't totally have that exact same experience, you know. So while he can definitely see where I'm coming from. Um, it's not something that he has to, to, to live with in the same way. Um, though, you know, I, I mean, I think part of the reason why Angel and I get along so well and why we're married is, is because, um, you know, he also comes from, even, even if it's not the same kind of hybridity, he definitely understands hybridity, um, especially of experience. Uh, and so, you know, I think that that's, that's, definitely been been something that that's been interesting for me to deal with in my in my life mm-hmm. um yeah so uh, you're you're using the word hybridity um that yeah. interesting interesting way to to phrase that and it seems like in the u.s that's sort of the way things are going more and more people are hybrids you might say yeah absolutely um and i think that you know I, I really uh, the reason I use the word hybridity it's, it's a, the word that the theorist Tommy Baba uses um, in, in postcolonial theory. But I think that um, more and more we're headed that way. But also more and more the world is sort of all becoming um, that way, even outside of the United States, um, with globalization um, and with the way that we can now have access to travel um, so much easier than ever before. And I think that it's it's important to really be aware of that conversation because um, I think that it can cause a lot of pain for a lot of people who maybe come from a really hybrid background but have been sort of forced to pick one box, right, pick Mm -hmm. one identity. And I've always been really reluctant to do that. And it could be that for me... Um, I never really did that because to do that felt like I was picking kind of one side of my household over the other. Um, but but I think that a lot of people feel they, they do come from really hybrid backgrounds when you talk to them, but they've been sort of forced to pick one identity and stick with it. And I think that that's a really kind of painful thing. Mm. I was hearing a, an interview just the other day with a gentleman who is uh, African American and and Hispanic, and he said he when he would be invited to uh, parties with African Americans, uh, they would tr- ask subtle questions to try to try to see if he was I guess black enough, <laughs> and he he says over time he's just I guess maybe like you he's become more comfortable in his own shell and and he doesn't answer those questions he said he's he he, he doesn't want to go there he's not interested in that anymore. Sounds like you've kind of had a journey where you've become more comfortable with yourself over time. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, um, you know, there's sometimes I think to, at the end of the day, I mean, I'm, I'm still a person outside of those identities, and I know how to relate to people outside of those identities. Um, and so I think sometimes um, when you have too much of a vested interest just in being a person that's that's solely oriented around these kind of identities, um, it can really kind of take away from the way that you relate to to people. 
and and that's what I'm really more interested in. Um, I mean, yes, am I all of, am I those things? Absolutely. Um, but but I don't think that that's like the only thing that that defines me as a mm. as a human being. As I don't think anyone else, right? I mean, we all have other things happening in our identities. Mm-hmm. And yet, of course, people around you will be forming their own opinions and, and such. You have to interact with that. Let me just read this last paragraph in this very interesting uh, piece on your website, uh, by the way, which is nataliecenterszapico.com. Uh, so you say, today I'm happy that he did that for me. He's talking about Angel in this conversation you had. It's a memory I cling on to any time that I feel othered in American culture. It's a memory I cling to when people give me dirty looks for speaking Spanish or worse yet, tell me to stop speaking it. So have you had these experiences? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I've definitely had those experiences, um, and they're really ugly experiences. I think that um, sometimes people, you know, we live in a really monolingual uh, culture here in the United States, and um, I think sometimes people out of ignorance are really threatened the minute that they hear a language that they don't understand. I think that that's starting to change, you know, thankfully. Um, but I think that uh, there's still a lot of that out there. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that it's something that, that definitely I try to try, try to question in, in many ways. Um, I mean, something that, that happened, um, you know, one time even after a reading, I have some poems, not all of the poems, but I have a couple poems in the collection that have um, some Spanish words in them. And, you know, I had somebody tell me that, that they, they love the poetry, but they, you know, they got a little lost on the ones with Spanish. And I think it's that kind of impatience um, that, that happens with maybe, yeah, with with being monolingual, mm. uh, because I'll hear poems completely read in languages that I don't understand, and I can still, even though I don't understand it, it doesn't bother me in the same way I think that it bothers other people, um, because, in, in fact, I enjoy it, because you can hear um, kind of the just the sounds of the language and really try to kind of understand what's happening, especially in a poem on the level of sound alone, which is really very interesting. And as you go on to say, um, you get joy in being able to read all of the beautiful literature of Latin America and Spain. You know, if you don't speak Spanish, you don't get to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's the, the beauty of learning other languages. Mm-hmm. Because if you read things in translation, which we already have a problem with in the United States um, of not having a lot of literature that's in translation, um, but but even when you're reading something in translation, you know I really like the metaphor, you know, of the veiled kiss, right? It's mm-hmm. it's better than not having the kiss at all, but it's still sort of between a veil um, because you you're never going to totally um, get grasp it in the same way um, as you would if you spent the time with the language. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll have more with uh, uh, Natalie. Uh, Center Zapico. Her uh, debut uh, poetry collection is The Virgin Cities. Uh, Very interesting. Undocumented men named Angel, angels falling from the sky, explorations of immigration and marriage, narco violence and femicide. And uh, she is, uh, she grew up in those twin cities of El Paso and Ciudad Juarez. Ciudad Juarez, I don't know if it's still the murder capital of the world, but it it was. And uh, so I'll ask you, I'll ask you about that. It's, um, I have a brother who lives in uh, Las Cruces, and whenever oh. whenever he says we're going across to Sierra Juarez, we're going to go clubbing. I I think wow, I, <laughs> I hope you <laughs> hope you stay safe. We'll talk about the the, the border and have you read some poems uh, from uh, from the book. I'll just give you a heads up. Uh, maybe have you read uh, Crossing uh, first. Okay. Uh, sure. So we'll do all of that following the break. This is Brian Erickson and bringing more to life. All caregivers are not created equal. Give yourself time to learn this new role. Observe and ask for advice from peers who also face the challenge of parenting parents. Worry less about doing it right and focus more on showing you care. Remember often your presence is enough. Engage and appreciate care facility staff. They know your parents' needs. 
Start the conversation now to bring more to their lives. Support for Bringing More to Life on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and the Sunshine Terrace Foundation in Logan, advancing wellness, independence, dignity, and comfort. Information at sunshineterrace.com. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. I'm pleased to welcome uh, today uh, Salt Lake City poet. She lives in Salt Lake City now, Natalie Centers-Zapico. Her debut collection is out. It's called The Virging Cities. It's filled with explorations of immigration and marriage, narco-violence and femicide, angels in the domestic sphere, and uh, various forms as well, including uh, sonnet and end notes and field notes. Each poem distills uh, violent stories of narcos, undocumented immigrants, border patrol agents, and people who fall in love with each other and their traumas. And uh, Natalie Centers Zapico lives now in Salt Lake City, as I said. She has taught literature and creative writing in English and Spanish at the University of Texas at El Paso, University of New Mexico, and Juan Diego Catholic High School. She currently lives with her husband, Jose Angel Maldonado, in Salt Lake City. Uh, The title of the collection, The Verging Cities. Um, so I wonder if I could have you read uh, Crossing poem. It's early, early sure. in the collection. Oh, sure. Crossing. Angel buys a passport made at a print shop for $50. Perfect, but for a hair stuck in the laminate by his date of birth. Not noticeable, he says, and I believe him. We walk across the bridge to Ciudad Juarez, and I expect there to be an explosion for the streets to glow red. It's been five years since we've been back, and the city is a ghost, but the traffic is alive. It's still a city, I say. Let's go to a bar, he says. We pose in faux fur with cigarettes for nightlife pictures, get vicious, and leave at 3 a.m., I stumble in my platform heels and stop at another bar to get drinks one last time in a to-go cup. By 3.30, I turn litter bug and throw our empties into the ink-stained street. I brush my hands against the chain-link fence as we cross the bridge back to El Paso. Cameras every 10 feet, we smile and kiss for them. Behind us, a man yells, that's it? That's all you have for me? Murder capital of the world? Border agents wave us across. I'm too white to tell. An angel looks clean enough, but one of us is illegal. No one says a word. We all breathe pollution. To think we didn't need to get a visa. To think we could have saved the $50. Still easy, we laugh, and agree to cross again next weekend. We wonder why we call each other cielo, why we call each other angel. We wonder how two cities are split, how they swell, watch how they collide. So these two cities, you know, side by side, twin Mm -hmm. cities, if, if you will, would be unremarkable except... They're divided by an international border. So I wonder, uh, what do you you grew up in both cities, did you? So the reason that I conceive of them as um, as one city or as living in both is because um, El pa- it used they used to be one city. They used to be El Paso del Norte, um, and when it was decided that the the Rio Grande would mark the border in Texas, um, it split the city. Um, one ha- one part of it would become Mexico, and the other part would become the United States. Um, and so, for for the real kind of borderlander or fronterizo, um, going from one city to another would be, you know, it's 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 not really the way that I think other people conceive it of it as crossing an international border. It would be almost like going to another part of your city, um, just kind of going to another part of town. Um, it's not quite the, 
the same um, because of the history. Uh, I see. I see. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder, um, we talked a little bit about Ciudad Juarez. Uh, I imagine there's some wonderful things about it. It has this reputation as, you know, all these all these young women dying. And uh, I, I don't know, what, what uh, tell me about Ciudad Juarez. Um, well, uh, I mean, Ciudad Juarez, first of all, I think it's, it's something that, that a lot of people don't always know is that it's, um, you know, a, a city of close to two million people. It's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a city, right? It's um, it's not like a small kind of border town. Sometimes people get that impression, um, and it's not. It's just, it's very much a city, um, and it's also um, it, it's an interesting place because it has a really beautiful history, and it. Um, it used to be sort of, even when I was younger, um, really pretty safe. And, and if you wanted to, to go and um, even just listen to great live music or go to awesome art galleries, um, and we're talking from people all over the world, um, it was a great place to, to go that was really close. You know, it was just like, you know, you just have to walk even the bridge and, and you're there. And then, um, and, and there were always sort of strains of femicide in the 90s and into the 2000s, but what really hit the city very, very hard um, was the, the cartel war um, and then, of course, the, the, you know, the Mexican government um, with the change of, of power kind of um, going in and also kind of trying to control then that cartel war. Um, and so around kind of 2007, really, I mean, 2006, 2007 is when things started getting really, really violent. Um, and, and kind of Juarez started getting this very international reputation of being the murder capital of the world um, was, was when that started started happening. And it was a really interesting place to live at that time because, um, you know, the New York Times, again, called it the murder capital of the world, to the Juarez. But then Alpaso, which is right there, um, and, and just to, to give you an idea, I mean, Alpaso to the Juarez is closer than Tijuana, San Diego, right? Like, it's, it, they're literally one city. It's just, um, they, they built the fence in the middle of it. Um, but El Paso was named the safest city in America. Wow. Um, and so that kind of juxtapositioning that close, um, you know, always caused a lot of uh, tension, right? Mm. Um, it's a really interesting kind of place to, to grow up and, and to live. So it's, it's international border, it's, it's language, it's, I guess it's culture. They're they're intermixing, but also a big divide as well. Yeah, definitely, and I think that's why in in the book I I play a lot with this word verging, um, kind of the beginning of one thing and the end of another in constant rotation, um, because that's really how I've started to kind of conceive of the border, at least for this collection, is. Um, kind of that constant cycle of things ending and beginning um, all the time. In fact, you... And, and even that being confusing, you know, like yeah. what, what is a beginning and what is an end? Right, yeah. I, I, I imagine that reflects the reality of, of the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, your sections are, are interesting. Uh, you know, clever use of the word, uh, you know, converge, diverge, mm-hmm. reverge. Mm-hmm. And that that's this intermixing the cycle that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, I started really playing with the word for the sections um, as a way to also kind of, um, well, to, to conceive of the way that I look at the border, but throughout the collection, there's also a narrative um, that kind of follows through between the speaker and um and, and the character of Angel or Angel, that you're never really sure if he's like a man or or an angel. Um, uh, and so I use the sections as a way to also kind of look at that narrative. Hmm. 
now that you're you've you've moved away you're you're in utah but yeah. you, you you look you look across that physical divide now back to your your um i guess your girlhood towns i wonder has your perspective changed about el paso ciudad Juarez? um you know it, it it's i think it's evolved i don't know that it's totally changed um it's definitely evolved i think that um right now i'm really interested in writing about um i'm still interested in borders i think i'll always be interested in borders um i mean i i wrote a lot of this collection while i was living in albuquerque so i wasn't physically in el paso juarez when i was writing this collection either but i was still interested in it and i think i'll always be interested in borders it's just the way that i look at them might change so right now i'm really interested in border security technologies um and kind of what that what that does and i don't know uh, I think it's just you know different different experiences and different distances help you look at a space in different ways. Hmm. Uh, I wonder if you could read. Uh, this is very interesting to me. That the city is a body swallowed. So I'm not sure if our pages sure. match up. Page fifty three. I think we're close there. Say too. that again. Uh, page fifty three. Fifty three. It matches up with the PDF I have here. Yeah. Okay. The city is a body swallowed. We align our backs until we share the same spine. Your vertebra are the numbered metal poles that mark this part of the border. 357, 358, 359. You are the twin I swallowed, lost within a mother's womb. I thought you died, but look how deep you fell inside me. A ball of teeth and hair nestled in my throat. When I speak, no one remembers how shallow our river can be. An arm cut from the body of its meaning. Hmm. The city is a body swallowed. Uh, the, the poet is with us for the hour. And uh, she is uh, Natalie Santos-Sapico. She's from the sister cities of El Paso and Ciudad Juarez. She now lives in Salt Lake City. I saw a picture on your website. You're doing a reading in front of 359. What, what are these? Yes. What are these numbers? Um, so when they... So when I was younger, there really wasn't um, like a giant fence or anything that marked most places between the border. Um, I mean, you had the international bridges, and there was like some fencing kind of around the international bridges, but um, there wasn't like just like a giant fence running across the border all the way through. Um, and then when I was in college um, at the University of Texas El Paso, it was a really kind of uh, intense time because they started building the border wall um, and when I was there, that's when they started building it through El Paso Juarez. And uh, there was a lot of resistance to that wall, and it was a really, really painful thing for a lot of people um, to see that wall go up. Um, uh, and so, because really, it was like a really symbolic uh, way of physically showing kind of the, the pain and the divide that the U.S. immigration process creates um, in splitting a lot of families up. And so it was like this physical kind of uh, violent barrier even to the land. Um, and so they, when they put the wall up, they also have these markers to help Border Patrol um, kind of control the different areas of the fence and they physically put them up. So I think that they always sort of had these numbered terms for it, but they just didn't have like a physical marker um, that all of us could see, if that makes any sense. And mm. now they have these giant metal poles with numbers at the top to 
to mark the different places along the fence. Um, and so that was always very interesting to me that you would mark land um, with these numbers as a way to control the movement of people. I mean, that's, that's a very kind of disturbing um, thing to witness. So that's been a very interesting transition then in, in El Paso and, and Juarez. Uh, it's, it's, it's happened over time that this border has gone up and got more, got, you could use the word harsher, you know, firmer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wonder what that does to, what does that do to a, it used to be one city, now it's, now it's, two, now it's definitely two cities and, mm-hmm. and enforced. I wonder what that does to the people. You know, it causes a lot of pain, um, and it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of really violent history along the border. Um, I mean, you know, a very little known history of the U.S.-Mexico border is even in El Paso Juarez, and really in a lot of places in Texas, um, there, in order to cross, you know, there's a lot of uh, stereotypes that come with that, so, um, you know, for, for many years into, like, I think the 1970s in Texas, if you crossed, they would make you, um, like, if you were if you were Mexican crossing into the United States, um, even on just, like, a day past visa, um, which a lot of people used even to, to work, you know, as, a gar- as gardeners or, or um, as maids, they would make you strip, and they would take all of your clothes and put them in giant, um, like heat dryers um, and and your shoes too. So the stereotype that you even see, for example, in a lot of literature, um, you know, the the one that comes to mind right now is like Jack Kerouac uh, on the road, where he crosses through Juarez and he talks about uh, people not having any shoes, right? Um, which he thought was like a sign of poverty. But a lot of those shoes, a lot of the reason that people didn't have shoes is because they were burned in dryers when you, they would like melt them um, a lot of times um, when people would come across. So there's a lot of, you know, really violent history. During the Mexican Revolution, you know, um, Americans would come and, and set up, kind of like in the Civil War, right, they would set up lawn chairs. And, and watch the war from afar. I mean, just wow. really, you know, it's a really interesting area with a lot of uh, tension um, mm. in that way. And yet, you know, it's still this, I think, this really beautiful place because, um, you know, you have a lot of different experiences and identities happening in this one place. Um, and and it's also such a beautiful bilingual city, which you don't see all the time. And and in that way, even linguistically, it's it's just fascinating, you know. Let's take another break. When we come back, more with uh, Natalie Centers Sapico, her uh, new volume of uh, poetry, very interesting and impactful. Diverging Cities, it's called, and uh, that's out and available now. Um, we are uh, talking about border issues, immigration, and other issues. So we'll hear more of the poems. And after the break, I want to get into talking a little bit about the current politics. I'll, I'll get your reaction uh, to uh, Donald Trump, uh, who I guess you could dismiss, but uh, the, the, the whole reaction to it has been interesting, and uh, talk more following the break. Space tourism is almost here. We would love to be able to see all sorts of people having the chance to experience space. And it's not just about going up. It's about coming back down. Because at 18,000 miles an hour, you can get to pretty well anywhere on Earth in about 40 minutes. I'm Guy Raz, Richard Branson, Bill Ford, and others on the future of travel. That's next time on the TED Radio Hour from NPR. Monday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Don't be squeamish when you see something crawling while you're in the garden. Take a closer look. If what looks like a little alligator is eating aphids, leave it alone. It's doing you a favor and eventually will become a lady beetle. On the Zesty Garden this Thursday, author Mary Gardner helps you find out about the good insects with her book, Good Garden Bugs. In Wait, Wait, Don't Plant That, you'll learn about Bishop's Weed. And then in Petals and Prose, Nancy Williams tells you how to encourage birds to your garden. It's the Zesty Garden, Thursday mornings at 10 from UPR. 
Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Best Western Antlers, 423 West Main Street in Vernal, featuring a breakfast buffet, outdoor heated swimming pool, fitness center, guest laundry, Wi-Fi business services, and a shuttle to the Vernal Airport. Information at bestwestern.com. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. We've reached our last segment with Natalie Center Zapico. She now lives in Salt Lake City. Uh, she grew up in the uh, Twin Cities, the uh, sister cities of uh, Ciudad Juarez in Mexico and El Paso in uh, Texas, the U.S., and has seen a uh, border gradually become firmer and firmer, more and more distinct, and uh, that perhaps mirrors what's been happening in, uh, in international politics. You're welcome to join the conversation here at 1-800-826-1495. And our email, by which you can join us, is upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. I wonder, Natalie Centres up, what, what you think of Donald Trump's remarks and the, re- the reaction to that? Yeah, I mean, it's been, um, it's been really crazy, all of the, I mean, from, from the remarks that were initially made that were horribly racist, um, and I don't think that, honestly, you know, I don't think there's another word to describe them. I, I would love to say, you know, he's, he, you know, is just ignorant about the issues. I, I found them to be just, just stemming from a, a real place of not only ignorance, but just, like, absolutely, like some real hatred there, um, and, and I think racism is definitely a huge part of where that hatred is coming from, and it was really kind of sad, not not totally shocking, unfortunately, at least for me. Um, I mean, I think that there are a lot of uh, people that have these really uneducated uh, opinions, not only about borders, but also um, about Latinos in general. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of backlash. Uh, I really like... Um, kind of what the actress America Ferrara said, where she said, thanks, Donald Trump, because now you finally mobilized Latinos to definitely, uh, you know, be really active in these next elections mm-hmm. um, and to go out and vote. Uh, and so in that way, I also would hope that that's, that that's what happens, um, because that, that really, I mean, those kind of comments... It, it's just unnecessary and um, is really scary, you know, that, that that would be even allowed to, to be said. It's, it's just mm-hmm. crazy to me. But, you know, people surprise you every day. So, and, yeah. And, of course, Donald Trump is known as a provocateur. But, uh, you know, yeah. he's he's obviously trying to appeal to some group of people, and he thought he could by doing this. So I guess that that gets to your comment. You're you're not totally surprised by these comments. No, I mean I think it's it's a really interesting time that we're living in, and that um, I think for many years, um, <clears throat> you know, we or at least I think a lot of us sort of thought we were making a lot of progress in. Um, educating people and kind of getting rid of a lot of those, like that kind of racist commentary. Um, And, you know, statements like that really prove that that the conversations need to continue to happen because obviously you're right, there are people who, um, you know, they they support what it is that Donald Trump is saying um, and, and, that's what he was sort of counting on. But I do think that that's not, that's not, not, I don't think that that's like the general consensus. I, I would say that uh, there are a lot more people saying that that was not uh, a good thing for Donald Trump to say than people who are saying that that's, that they back that up. So moving away from, I want to make a clear distinction, <laughs> what I'm going to say next, moving away from, you know, extreme comments and Donald Trump, et cetera, just to sort of the mm-hmm. regular immigration debate. Uh, I could I could hear some people citing Ciudad Juarez as an example of why we need a, we want a strong border. You know, we, we don't want femicide in the U.S. We don't want uh, murder capital, of the, you know, of, of, in the world in, in the U.S. We don't want uh, 
some of these things that are happening in Juarez in in the U.S. And th- therefore, that's a reason to build a border, you know, stronger border. Well, I think to be honest with you, and I and I, I kind of say this with a heavy heart because I don't want to live in a world period with violence like this, but. Um, you know, a lot of that violence does exist in the United States um, and is just not called by the same name. We we have uh, a really high rate of women that are sexually assaulted and killed in the United States every year. We just don't call it femicide. Um, you know, we also I read a really interesting article um, recently in which um, they said that, you know, even cities like St. Louis, for example, um, have a higher murder rate now annually than Juarez did last year. Um, And so it's sort of, I think that it's a lot of it is the way in which the media um, portrays Ciudad Juarez and also sort of sensationalizes a lot of it um, and even fetishizes a lot of it. So I think the way that I conceive of borders is I really view them as sort of circuits for globalization, in which what happens on borders, oftentimes, because they're they're such kind of concentrated areas where globalization is happening at such a fast rate, um, through things like maquiladoras, for example, um, which are kind of like, uh, you know, sweatshops, factories, um, you, you have these kind of instances of... of of vi- these instances of violent kind of explosions, right, that kind of happen um, or that bloom up. And um, and really, those, I think, are predictors for where, in many ways, the rest of the country will be. And it's not necessarily, I think, having a stronger border that's the solution to that. It's really looking at a lot of the practices that we have and the way that we treat people um especially even in their workplace, right, and empowering people in in their workplace um, and making sure that we're not taking advantage of people in a way that, that's not um, fair, right, um, in, in, in a globalized market. We, uh, I think it leads to a lot of that violence. Mm, right, right. Um, I want to pick up on, I want to have you read another couple of your poems, just maybe have you select a, a one or two. I want to pick up on, on uh, something you said uh, about this, the beginning of your answer, that you that you thought the media fetishizes uh, some things like uh, Ciudad Juarez. You think, think that's uh-huh. true? I, I could see, I could see that happening. You, 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 you kind of focus on that and it becomes a media fetish. So I wonder if you have um, if you have a, a poem or two you'd like to read here. We're nearing the end of the the conversation. Sure, um, I'll read "Mouth in My Kitchen." Mouth was split roja, my wound que no curaba. Era mi boca, pero mi boca ya no hablaba. Acaricié sus labios. Esta boca opened itself. Two branches cut into a sky. Mouth, it's true. I speak another language. Lips, the bumps lodged along its tongue. I said, tell me I am lying. I stared at its cracked. It was silent. I asked, Mouth, are you dying? I asked, Mouth, why have you come? I asked to fetch a dish. I asked, Mouse, are you alien? Every time I creaked through the kitchen, I told Mouse it was stupid. Mouse, pages from books it couldn't read. I starved Mouse, only to feed Mouse paper towels and mop water over the sink. I told Mouse, learn English. Mouse, like a child, pursed its lips and spat. I asked, Mouse, where is your body? I asked, Mouth, where could your delicate hands be? It Mouth floated above me, an uneven hole. It would never leave me, this mouth, my id mouth, this mouth, my mother's. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Um, I wonder, um, you've written about the desert 
very fascinating. You, one line, um, people think they're alone in the desert. Hmm. Or, or words to that effect. Mm-hmm. And that that's uh, that's what we think about when we think about border, don't we? We don't think t- tend to think about cities. Right. Um, and, and people are dying out there in the desert. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, because they're trying to trying to reach from one nation to the to the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you been out there? To the desert? The, yeah, to those areas. Oh yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in fact, the picture that you had mentioned earlier, in which I'm in, in front of what's called Spot 357, is um, really interesting because it's kind of in the outskirts of both Juarez and El Paso. It's what they call it. They they used to call it the Tortilla border because. You know, it was really hard to tell, like, what was one side and the other because it's such a kind of impoverished area. Um, And if you travel even just a little bit out, you know, just a couple miles out of that even area, it's absolute desert. Um, And people die of thirst all the time trying to to cross um, from Juarez to El Paso. And what a lot of people don't always realize is that, um, you know, a lot of times it's even parents trying to, to cross to reach their children, or when they deport um, people, they leave a lot of children, um, you know, without parents and without anybody to take care of them. And so it really splits uh, a lot of families apart. And then that's sort of the, the real pain um, that, that starts to, to form once you really immerse yourself in, um, in this area. Mm. I wonder if you have another poem you'd like to, to read here. Just have a couple of minutes left. Sure. Um, I'll read Woman Found Near Sunland Park Mall, uh, El Paso, Texas. When he finds the woman the target customers have been reporting, she is open-mouthed and whispers, Agua. He thinks how common to find a woman who crossed the desert without enough water. He gets close to her face. Her body has betrayed her. Water is heavier, the drier the landscape. He puts his foot on her neck and watches how slowly her face turns red with blood. When the other border agents ask, what state he found this woman in. He has a story that involves water, how some can buy it at Target, and how others don't know how to call it by its proper name. Yeah, that's that's heartbreaking, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. We'll have to leave it there, Uh, but but, uh, there's... uh, there's a lot here in this collection of poems, very powerful. The Virging Cities is the title of the collection. Natalie Center Zapico lives in Salt Lake City, and uh, she uh, grew up in the sister cities of El Paso, Texas, and Ciudad Juarez, Chihuahua. Um, the uh, Virging Cities is now out and available, and the website is nataliecenterszapico.com. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And uh, coming up tomorrow, we're going to uh, talk about uh, issues of security in our digital age. The author is Taylor Owen. The book is Disruptive Power. Hope you'll join us tomorrow. Thanks for listening today. Welcome to Wild About Utah, a Utah Public Radio production featuring contributors who share a love of nature, preservation, and education. Scaling the Grand, that picturesque mountain that hangs over Jackson, Wyoming, along with its battleship Gray Sisters in the Teton Range, was a ridiculous thought that found harbor in the back of my mind in the spring of 1985 when I first glanced up at the peak. Along with a dozen or so other neighboring peaks that rise above 10,000 feet, the Tetons form a ponderous, jagged stretch of rock that is the lower 48's most arresting mountain range. The soul of Grand Teton National Park, the Grand as it's known, harbors world-class climbs. Some climbers tackle the mountain on their own while neophytes, such as myself, are herded ever upward under the watchful guidance of one of Jackson's two resident climbing outfitters. To me, an Easterner by birth, the 13,770-foot-tall Grand Teton is a breathtaking and incredibly tall mountain. But climate? Not only am I usually most comfortable with both feet firmly planted flat on the ground, 
but the thought of only a thin rope and a precarious hand or toehold between me and an incredibly long way down scared the hell out of me. The view from atop the ground, however, is incredible. To the west rises the Jedediah Smith Wilderness, to the north, Yellowstone National Park, and to the east, Jackson Hole, with the moraine that is Timbered Island so very well defined. Now, if you haven't climbed to the roof of Grand Teton National Park, or can't, you can still enjoy the view. A new virtual tour produced by the park staff takes you from the Jackson Hole Valley to the summit from the comfort of your living room or office. No cold or pelting rain to be endured, no thunderclaps or lightning strikes. Just a nice mix of interactive still photos and video cuts that take you to the top. This virtual mountaineering excursion, or e-climb as the park dubs it, provides an introduction to the features, geology, history, and excitement of scaling the granite ledges and spires that form the Grand Teton Massif, the highest peak in the Teton Range and the second highest mountain in Wyoming. This web-based tour introduces viewers to the various elements that exist in Grand Teton's forest and alpine communities. As an e-climber, you can control the images and sounds at each stop along your virtual tour, and you can activate videos to explore the human and natural history related to each location along the climbing route. By hovering your mouse over a photograph, hidden images will be revealed through the click of a button. E-climbers can also use videos to imagine scrambling over boulder fields and wedging through rocky alcoves as they experience the thrill of climbing and drama of a mountain rescue in a virtual landscape. To find this virtual climb, go to Grand Teton's website, www.nps.gov backslash grte, and click on Grand Teton e-climb near the bottom of the homepage. Then sit back and enjoy your climb. For Wild About Utah, this is Kurt Repencheck with National Parks Traveler. Wild About Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio. For transcripts and archived audio of Wild About Utah, go online to upr.org and click on the Wild About Utah link. Support for Wild About Utah on UPR is made possible in part by our listeners and the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance. For more than 30 years, working to preserve the wilderness at the heart of the Colorado Plateau. More about protecting Utah's wilderness heritage at suwa.org. Access Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio. You can listen to this episode or previous episodes of Access Utah anytime at upr.org, where you can find a link to subscribe to our podcast. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 89.5 Logan, KUSK HD1 88.5 Vernal, KUSL HD1 89.3 Richfield, KUST HD1 88.7 Moab, and KUSU FM HD1 91.5 Logan. Hi, it's Lynn Rosetto Casper. This week we're taking on the 4th of July with a handful of favorites. Mario Batali, Claudia Roden, Sally Schneider, and an interview with Julia Child from our very first national broadcast 20 years ago this weekend. That's The Splendid Table, the show about life's appetites from 8 p.m. Tuesday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. And you're listening to Utah Public Radio. Stay with us for the TED Radio Hour coming up next, followed by performance today at 11 and exploring music at 1 o'clock. It's currently 68 degrees on the USU campus in Logan.